Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everyone, Michael Lejeune here. I'll be your host today on Game Changers. And as always, we have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, Tim Ashmore is going to be on here with us today. Tim is somebody I met on LinkedIn. So first of all, Tim, thanks for reaching out on LinkedIn. That was that was great. I always love when people reach out and say, hey, I've got a great topic for the for the show if you want to let me on the podcast. And so, you know, Tim and I talked and uh, hit it off really well. So I think you're going to get a really great conversational show today with Tim and I talking about an account-based marketing approach to marketing your business. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tim. Uh, Tim is the Federal Program Manager for Charter Contracting. So Tim, why don't you take a minute here and just introduce yourself for folks. Sure. Uh, Michael, thanks a lot for the introduction. Again, my name is Tim Ashmore. Uh, I'm the Federal Program Lead for Charter Contracting. Uh, Charter is a yellow iron remediation firm uh, focused primarily on uh, Superfund type remediations as well as some ecological restoration and other civil construction work. And my history, uh, specifically in the federal market, is close to 15 years now, uh, really predominantly in the proposal marketing uh, and sales side and, and more recently as a program lead. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we were going through our pre-show, I was telling you how you're, you, I'm probably going to ask the first question. We're going to go right off the rails. I'm going to go right off the rails before that and ask you something. Being in the market as long as you have, is it true? Because I, I want to kind of fact check myself here. Is it true that in a way it feels like the government has not changed a bit in 15 years? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, in a lot of ways, the government has not changed a bit. But as you stay close to your clients, I think it's very client dependent. And something that I've noticed in the last two to three years um, is a new guard, so to speak, of emerging decision makers at various districts uh, for Army Corps, um, probably over at IMCOM as well, um, and just across the federal swath. So whatever market you participate in, you may have seen some of the same. And, and while the processes stay the same and the rigor continues to tighten, um, I, I've seen the decision-making shift slightly, I think. Hmm, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I think that's a, a great answer there. You know, one of the things is 
some things have not changed. We are starting to see that little inkling that, like you said, the new guard is coming in and there's some change on the horizon. So I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I, I do totally agree with that. So that, that's really interesting. Uh, but I always like to ask people when they've been in the market this long, are you seeing that too? Because there's so many things in the market that people are like, they're trying to get so creative, whether they're using LinkedIn or they're using, you know, some other different marketing approach. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff. It's exactly the same way it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So just keep doing that. It still works. So, so with that, let's jump into account-based marketing and I'm going to let you kind of give us what your thoughts are on this, you know, kind of define it for people. Cause I, I think when people hear account-based marketing, they're like, I think I know what that means, but why don't I let you tell us, you know, in your own words, what that means to you and a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. And, and the funny thing about account-based marketing particularly for uh, business to government sellers is a lot of this is going to sound like things, geez, I've been doing this for a long time. It's just got a new label, but um, I'm kind of here to, to point out some nuances um, and strategies and even tactics um, for how to execute this in a really targeted and optimized way. And, and I think optimized is the key word when it comes to account-based marketing. So it's, it's taking your general marketing practice and trying to maximize the value of every marketing dollar you have to spend. And that's kind of achieved by honing in on specific targets. Um, maybe it's opportunity-based or maybe it's client-based. Um, but you want to hone in on those targets and spend really 90% of your energy in the marketing space on reaching those people with your messaging. And this is kind of based on the idea that I, and I focus a lot on small businesses uh, myself. So Charter is a small business. I've worked at a number of small businesses. And, you know, it seems sometimes like it's a David and Goliath. I have the marketing budget that some of the mega firms out there probably uh, blow that away just on pens and pencils. Um, so how do, how do I compete? How do I market myself uh, versus those firms in a way that yields as much or more value. Um, so that's really kind of the essence of, of account-based marketing is dialing, on, dialing in on the accounts, um, getting your message across to those people in really creative ways, and not really worrying about the, other, the rest of the world out there that you could be marketing to. Yeah, and I, I think that's well put. And what I see a lot of times is most people using... I, I want to use the word traditional marketing, but the best word you can say, and this really is traditional marketing, is the shotgun approach. You know, we're just going to market our message to everything that lives and breathes, you know, and, and that's just, you know, it's really hard when you have a tiny marketing budget to market so broadly. So I'm glad you brought that up. I think, you know, for people, especially if you're listening to this today and you have a smaller marketing budget, this is a great way, as Tim put it, to optimize that marketing budget that you do have and to ultimately make it bigger, right? I mean, that's that's what it'll do if, if, you're, if you're really focused in on this account-based marketing tactic here. Uh, eventually, you're winning more and more in growing your marketing budget. So I, I think that's a great approach. So in, in your mind, you wouldn't say this is a replacement for traditional marketing, would you? You know, I, I find that an interesting subject. And if you're if you're going to be doing your let's call it traditional marketing or regular marketing or the marketing that we've all grown up with, 
Um, if you're going to continue doing that and you're also going to be doing the account-based marketing, I think you just have to be really specific about what you're cutting out of your traditional marketing plan. That doesn't mean stop sponsoring um, an SAME event. That doesn't mean no more uh, doing some kind of email blast. I think what it means is um, starting to call down your list of key accounts, figuring out who your buyers are, and then being targeted with those. So it can be a wholesale replacement, but it certainly doesn't have to be because that might be uncomfortable. Now, now that said, um, in the government market, I think you find a lot of business development representatives, specialists, managers, um, they do a lot of their own marketing. And if we're talking about scarce resources, certainly marketing budgets uh, have that, but maybe the scarcest of all resources is time. So if right. you're a business development pro, um, being able to dial in exactly on who you want to reach and then reach that that individual or individuals or entire account with your messaging that's going to resonate to them, that's probably a much better use of your time. I mean, Michael, I could ask you, and you probably have experience with this, but have you ever gone and given a brown bag that just fell flat or received one for that matter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I know I've done the same thing. Yeah, and and it, it feels to me like, why did I do that? Is that really a client that's going to come back and buy from me? Was that time well spent? And those are hours of preparation, uh, collateral development, and then presentation that, that you're not getting back. And chances are, if, if, if you're at a small business, that time could be spent um, on any number of other activities that you probably have going on to trying to command your time. Right. Absolutely. You know, we, we're in, in a little bit different business than some of the people on here. While we still do government contracting, that's not the core of the business that we run. Our core business is helping government contractors win more contracts. So our clients are government contractors. And internally, we have actually created a bid, no bid process, because we just took the terminology right, for determining you know, where we direct a potential prospect and when we cut it off. Because, you know, it's one of those things where I think some people just chase and chase and chase and chase and chase and they chase everybody at the same amount of energy when it's very easy when you put a couple of things in front of people for them to, to, to give you the signals that they're not going to be a buyer or they're not going to be an ideal buyer or that they will be a buyer. I don't, I don't think it might have been you I was talking to when I was explaining even why we started Game Changers. And one of the big reasons was we had been huge article writers. Josh and I love to write. We've both written books. And we uh, were always writing articles because, you know, back in the day, that's where you were told you will get, you know, customers because they will come and they will read your stuff and they will want to hire you. Well, we did a survey. And out of the people who read articles, it was like a 4 or 5% of them that would even be remotely interested in our services. I mean, it was, it was a staggeringly low number. And here we were spending all this time creating articles, which is marketing content, right? And when I did that survey, I also put in there in podcast. And when I put in there about the podcast, like 75% of the people that listen to podcast were our ideal buyers. And so that's like, an incredible number. It, it, it was crazy. And so here we had, no audio content. We had all of this you know, written content and we were creating content for people who were not buyers. 
And it would just, it hit us literally like a brick wall that here we are spending all of our time in the traditional space, you know, running ragged, trying to get these articles out when that's not where the buyers were even looking, you know, they were on audio. So, so you're spending your, your energy, your brain power and your time and effectively potentially money. If that's time, uh, building a brand with people who aren't inclined to buy period. Exactly. Um, so, so you went 15 times by starting the podcast. And yeah. I think that's exactly what we're talking about in a lot of ways here. And so when you apply that same kind of thinking, and I should add that RSM um, as a B2B seller, um, people should look at account-based marketing for B2B. And, and despite this being a federal podcast, I know I market my services to large primes with regularity. And decision makers within those primes tend to have a bureaucratic infrastructure um, not entirely dissimilar to the federal government. These are still large institutional buyers with incredible controls in place trying to prevent any time of inappropriate, any kind of inappropriate buying. So, you know, building the org chart, identifying decision makers and, and targeting those individuals, I think is really applicable. And, and again, if I just go to your example and I bring myself back to the mediums that you use to put um, game changers in people's hands, um, th there are probably lots of methods that you could use to, to target folks who are ready and willing to buy the consulting services that you provide. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, this almost feels like a commercial for us a little bit because we're actually getting to roll ready to roll out a whole new strategy in 2019. So if you're listening to this in 2018, be on the lookout for some really cool stuff in 2019 on YouTube and other different channels that are going to kind of take this to another level. So a little, little plug there for what we're doing there. But, but I'm just right. so happy I could help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without being paid anything. You know, you're slipping the 20, right? But, you know, it, it's, ex it's exactly right, you know, and, and just, just taking a look at what's working and what's not. Because here's the, the really interesting thing, and then we'll, we'll get back to, you know, how you select targets and, and that sort of thing. Here's a really interesting thing. When you create content or create marketing, someone will consume it. It's just, is it your buyer or is it not? And in our case, we actually had a boatload of people consuming and liking the written content. They just weren't buyers. So, you know, you start to go through the business and this is really just a general business strategy, not even specific to government, but you can use it in government. You often start to go, let me use a social media term here. You start to look at your success by how many likes you have instead of sales. And you can't do that. Such and a dangerous trap. It's such a dangerous trap because you're looking at your success going, how many likes, how many shares, how many whatever. But at the end of the day, how many sales did you get from that? You know, it doesn't matter if everybody, and you mentioned the SAME event, it doesn't matter if everyone loved your piece at SAME if they didn't buy. You know, and, and for my boss, it doesn't matter if I had a great time at SAME, if I didn't bring home opportunities, new leads, new contacts, and follow-on activity. Exactly. Exactly. So, so let's... 
Uh, great discussion here. I think this is, I say this a lot, but this is one of my favorite podcasts that I've done in a while because we're getting to talk real techniques and strategies that can be applied both government and commercial. So if you're listening to this, this is going to be a podcast you want to rewind and listen to again. I think some really powerful stuff we've already covered, but we're not done yet. So so we're, we're talking about this concept of account-based marketing. It's not a replacement for traditional market, marketing. It's how you optimize traditional marketing. So how do you, uh, Tim, in your business, select the accounts to target? Because that's really, you know, in order to get to the, the heart of account-based marketing, you've got to target some accounts. So how do you do that in your business? Yeah, so this is really, I think, the center spoke of account-based marketing. And this you know, is where some hard discussions, I think, have to happen if you want to take on this type of marketing strategy. And, and what that means is looking really honestly in the mirror at who your clients are and then getting prepared to potentially fire some clients. So, you know, I think before you do anything, you have to look at who are our clients within a certain time period. And, you know, I'm not a big, like, look back type of person. I'm not I'm not huge on history. I like to keep moving forward like a good business development professional. Um, but that said, uh, this is an instance where you have to look back to look forward. And I think if you go through and you rank your clients, and you need to do this probably with uh, a cross section of uh, individuals within the business participating. So folks on the delivery side, folks on the sales side, potentially someone from the senior management team. But can you create a scorecard that puts your clients in, you know, one of three categories? You could have expansion clients, high growth clients that are always happy, have potential upside, their budgets seem to be trending upward, or there's a future that would indicate that their budgets will remain strong. Um, they could fall in the middle as customers that are worthwhile, they don't take too much of management time. They, the great thing about the government world is almost everybody pays on time. But if you're a subcontractor, um, you know how are your pay terms? How's your cash flow? Who's easy to work with? And then you have kind of a high ri risk, or or you could call it like a tectonic client. Um, a client that that's a client that. You know, you've gone out and got them. If you're a small business, it's hard to say there's any bad clients, but the reality is that there are bad clients. And those are the clients that you wind up spending a disproportionate amount of your time to keep happy relative to the return that they provide you. Um, and then you always have reputation risk with them. So these, these clients, you know, they've bought from you maybe on a price basis. You want a project with them. You're excited to get it going, but gosh, you didn't read the tea leaves quite right. And they, they wanted a set of services that you're only providing um, adequately. And every chance they get, they remind you of that. Or they tell other people within their offices that, that maybe you really do want to work for. So those are the clients that I think about in terms of uh, kind of that lower tier client that you need to have a hard discussion about, are they worth having? And it's as a small business, again, it's, it's always hard to say, I do not want to be paid from client X. Um, but regardless of what their long-term portfolio is, how do they treat you? Do you have that values alignment? Is that somebody you want? Um, if the answer winds up being no with a couple of clients, um, that that's just you optimizing your funnel. So if you had a list of, say, 
Um, I'll make up a number. In the federal business, uh, for us, we might have 20 target clients going down AFCAC and and different NAVFAC entities, Midland, Lantiv, um, all around the country, the different Army Corps districts. Um, National Park Service, right? I could call that list down. Maybe there's 20 to start with. And I bet I could bring that down to a total of maybe five or eight high value targets that I know I have success with in the past and will likely have success with in the future. Or these are clients that have a book of business and a good reputation that I want to be a part of. Yeah, Excellent answer on that. I I think that's you know, you bring up the very difficult, you know, conversation of firing a client. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. A, a friend of mine, Mike Michalowicz, uh, out in, he's a great author out in, uh, in New York, has written several books. One of his, uh, which Mike has not paid me to say this, uh, but uh, a great book he's got is called The Pumpkin Plan. And the whole concept is looking at what you need to prune out of your business in order to pour more resources into the good stuff. You know, that's the concept is he, you know, he interviewed these pumpkin farmers that make those gigantic, you know, 2000 pound pumpkins. And that's a lot how they do it is they really focus on anything that's going to suck life away from the big pumpkin gets cut right away. And it's a very difficult conversation to have to look at your client base. One, it's a cash flow conversation often. Um, and the other one is just, you know, you've got relationships, things like that. I like how you mentioned people that are going to treat you right. We, we actually fired a client last year. And while I'm not going to say their names, um, the whole purpose was they just didn't treat us right. I, I, I personally don't yell at people and I don't tolerate people yelling at me. And especially when we're doing a really good job. Uh, you know, this client had won tens of millions of dollars and just wasn't very respectful of us or our time. And it's just one of those things where sometimes you just have to draw the line and, and have some personal respect, if you will, on what it's going to take. But also looking at the time drain on, on the business. Like you said, you just, you're never going to get that time back. And if somebody's stealing it, you, know, you could be servicing how many clients at that point, especially how many of your ideal clients you know, you brought up another point there around we actually went through in our business. It was part of when I was doing the research around game changers and, you know, the writing articles and all that. And we ranked our clients and figured out, you know, who are the best clients? How do we get more of these? And I think there was it was almost 30 different questions we had to ask, you know, brutal, brutal honesty about each client. You know, and if you didn't score high enough, you were in, you know, the A, B or C category. And so it was just, you know, questions. I, I don't, I wouldn't share those questions with anybody because I think they really just apply to us. But it was questions that were important to our business on how we wanted to be treated, what kind of clients we wanted to have. And that was a, that was a big deal for us to be able to filter that out to find who were our ideal clients. So uh, just a, a lot to, I don't often use this term, a lot to unpack from the, from the last, you know, bit there. So, so, so let's move on a little bit. So can you give us some tactics, strategies, examples of this account-based marketing? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, this, this is more of the fun part. So you kind of, yeah. it's funny, we move from the, the hard conversation. And once you have that, it enables the part where you're unlocking creativity. And I just want to 
say one more thing on the last subject. And, and to me, defining your market and creating the category that you want to live in, um, that is really the essence of marketing. I think a lot of times, spe specifically in the government contractor space, we limit our view of marketing to be imagery, newsletters, emails. Mm -hmm. I, I think the role of the marketer is to help the business define where it, it makes the most difference and how it commands, at the end of the day, the most profit margin, mm -hmm. because that's what we're all in this for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So uh, I, I did want to add that, but then let's get into the fun part. Um, so the only limit on with account-based marketing, like any marketing, is really our own creativity. And the neat part with account-based marketing is you're going to be looking at individuals because at the end of the day, we, we can talk in terms of accounts and um, agencies and buyers, but people buy things, whether you're selling to the U.S. government you're selling to charter contracting, you're selling to AECOM URS. At the end of the day, there, there are controls in place, but people are making decisions. So you, you wanna get to know these people and kind of develop the ideal buying persona. And then based on what you get to know about them, um, that's where you kind of use the tactics and examples that uh, a few of which I, I have in mind. So. You, people are going to think I'm a dinosaur for saying this, and maybe I am, but um, the age of the direct mailer is not dead. If you provide a really creative uh, direct mail, and it only has to go to one person, or maybe you've got five decision makers that you're trying to reach, and you send out five mailers that aren't just a postcard, but maybe it's a, a keychain that resonates directly with their deep interest. You have um, somebody who's a sport fisherman. Send them a floating keychain of something that uh, relates to your business, whether uh, for us it might be an excavator, um, for, for an engineer it might be a scale, who knows? Um, but at any rate, you send them something like that, let us be key to your success. That individual will remember you and respond to you. Mm -hmm. You can do things like um, figure out where the decision maker, the source selection authority for a contract that you're pursuing lives, figure out what his likely routes are home, buy a billboard. Billboards are not nearly as expensive as people think. Have it up for two months during the whole proposal period. Make him see you every single day you go home. Um, go to Engineer News Record. That's the, I think there's something like 300,000 subscribers to that. Well, find the the 1,000 that you're targeting and, and ask the publisher to allow you to pull those out of circulation, put in an insert that only they will see. You could have a webinar for one. Don't tell the guy he's the only person on the webinar. Give yourself plant questions, but give a, give a presentation just for the one individual you're trying to reach. I think it's amazing where, I mean, the internet obviously has transformed buying and that that's true even at the federal level. There was a great uh, publication put out, I want to say it's by uh, a group called the Merit Group. Mm -hmm. It was specific yeah, to, that. you've seen that. Okay, so needs are largely um, determined without sales or marketing people involved anymore. And there was a time where needs were determined based on the salespeople's collateral that they were putting in front of people. But now you could just Google what it is you think you want and spend a few days researching and start to dial your need in. So if you're not 
getting your brand or your message in front of these buyers, they may never think of you as they're building up their specification. No, that makes sense. And I, I love the examples you're, you're giving here. And one of them that I've seen is people who are trying to get a job or trying to get in front of a specific person, uh, you know, creating Google campaigns, Google AdWord campaigns for like their name and different things. That's so creative. <laughs> yeah. I'll hire that person tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, I don't know about you. I have Google alerts set up for my name and different things. And I will often... When I see a Google alert on my name, I will often just hit Google and say, I wonder if there's anything else. And I'll Google my name or something along that or something on the team or whatever. I've done that exact thing. That's so funny. Yeah. And and it's just you never know what will come up. We had one guy on our team years ago. He used to do this. And it was just it was his thing. It worked well for him. It's not for everybody. Uh, He had one of those mannequin arms. I don't know if you've heard this where, you know, they have on the mannequin, you know, I give my right arm for a meeting with you type of thing. And the man, you know, he's always using the mannequin arm and you go to the meeting and then you ask for the mannequin arm back. (laughs) That's brilliant. You know, and I I had one client or uh, one of my coaches, because I've coached coaches all over the world. And one of my coaches tried the mannequin arm thing and he was like, I can't get a meeting with the first guy I gave them the arm to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, he, and he's like, and I've been trying to get the arm back and the lady won't get, you know, the secretary won't give me the arm back. <laughs> that is too good. So, All right. So lesson crazy. learned. So, don't, don't give away something you're not willing to part with. Yeah. You know, one of our guys used to, uh, he would find out what the person liked. So you can, I mean, you can find out by just going on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, and they'll have photos. And so he found this one guy who was a, a huge skier. So he went online and got a set of skis and he sent him one of them and said, I will bring you the other (laughs) at our sales meeting. You know, I mean, there's just there's so many ways to do that type of stuff. It just it just blows my mind, especially when people don't do it. But, you know, I, I agree with what you said about direct mail. It's not dead, but it has to be creative. It has to be it creative. It has to be creative. You know, there's a campaign I've been wanting to do for years, and I just, for one reason or another, I haven't done it. And would you believe somebody did it to me the other day? I, I, I go to check my mail, and there's this solid black envelope in it that looks like a wedding invitation. And the moment I saw it, I knew it was marketing because I've had this in my mind for years. And sure enough, it's, you know, got gold lettering in the black envelope and I opened this thing up and it was talking about how, um, you know, life should be unlimited and whatever it was. It was a, a piece from MasterCard, of all people, offering me a credit card with no limit because life should not have limits. And uh, I was like, oh, I have to applaud you for the marketing. Love the marketing on that. And, a pretty uh, tempting offer. Yes, it's a tempting offer. <laughs> and I was like, I told my wife, like, should we? And she was like, don't even. <laughs> don't even. It's one of those with like a $500 annual fee and whatever, but literally no limit. Uh, so she's she like, no, just just put it down. I know you like the marketing. Just put it down. And uh, so anyway, we put it down. We didn't we didn't do it. So, But what a great idea, because imagine had that had that been in the run up to a big conference and that was the invitation to a dinner party and there were going to be games that took people outside their comfort zone and just, you know, different ways of people connecting. 
and you show up and there's other target clients there that you want to see. And then the person who hosts you all of a sudden gets this reputation in your eyes as somebody who's able to bring people together that are of high value to right. you. And maybe you want to engage with them further. It's just what a great concept. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, I, and I've been to events where, you know, you talked about sponsoring the events and I don't want to, you know, discourage people from doing that. But when you have a limited marketing budget, you have to be smart about it. You know, there was um, a major systems integrator. I won't name him on here, um, but I was blown away at one of the events I went to years ago. They sponsored an ice cream break and they had these bars made up with their logo pressed into the ice cream. And I asked them, I was like, how much did this cost? And the guy was like, it was about $75,000. <laughs> And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that, I, I, mean, I think that's seven years of budgeting for us. Yeah, I'm like that. I, I get you. You know, you are in a two billion dollar division of a multi billion dollar firm, so this is probably like your daily budget or whatever. But you know, I was just blown away, and I I remember the ice cream break. I remember who it was. But I was also so disgusted by what was spent on the poor marketing because I'm a marketer. I'm always thinking about the marketing. And I was like, what could you have given these people for 75 grand? Well, and think about that. So in the direct mailer campaign, let's say that you maxed out saying, I'm not going to send anything that costs me more than $30 for development of the product plus shipping. And you sent that out to 150 people who you felt like you had a real opportunity to sell to. That's $4,500. I bet you you would return something like 30% on that $4,500. What do you think the returns were on that $75,000? Oh, if they were 10%, that'd be enormous. Yeah, it, it was probably zero. It was probably, everybody it was got probably a chuckle zero. of it. Yeah, everybody probably got a chuckle of it. And everybody was probably already working with them. You know what I mean? That's it, a good point. It, it wasn't like they did this to brand new prospects. It was, you know, it was at a, an event where probably everybody's already on a subcontract with these guys. You know, <laughs> you, you know I mean, and, and we're all eating the ice cream and, and just thinking, wow, you know, we should be charging them more. <laughs> you, you know, that's exactly that's that's the main thing. You know, where they're cutting their they're they're complaining about our invoices and they're buying, you know, seventy five thousand dollars worth of ice cream. I think I think my next invoice is going to be the full price, you know, or, or whatever it is. So so you kind of touched on this, but I want to kind of kind of round out the show here on, on this one. What impact, if any, do you think this strategy has on the company's overall messaging? So that that's a that's a good question. Um, at the end of the day, when you're doing your marketing, you don't want to be Johnny Come Lately. So you you are who you are in the market, and the more time you you spend defining who you are and creating a really narrow niche for yourself to live in, not only does that allow you to be more profitable within that niche because you become synonymous with it. Um, but it also avoids kind of getting into some of those more negative clients at times. So I, the reason I give that kind of preface to it is that you are still the same entity. You are still the same brand that you were before. You may have to mold your brand to fit the specific individual and what you know their hot button is. But it's about figuring out how your existing brand, if your re existing brand rel reliability I think you would want to just mold that into 
um, what the individuals that you're selling to want to hear as it relates to reliability, but you don't deviate from that, from that, you know, um, synonymous brand that you have. So it, it, it shouldn't change enormously. Um, but you do want to be creative with how you deliver the message, how it materializes to those individuals and how you continue to reach them. So if you, do develop a webinar for one specific to them. You want to keep coming back to the mean. You want to give examples and then and then regress back to the mean about who you are at your core. And I think that that, you know, it's easy to want to uh, deviate from who you are and just sell to um, the individual and meet their needs no matter what. But one of the basic principles in marketing uh, overall is to deliver on your promises. So you don't want to go become things that you're not because then your delivery team is going to have a problem. And if they can't deliver, guess what? They're probably not buying from you again. Right. So repeat customers are what we all want. And the only way to do that is to deliver the first time out and every time thereafter. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a really powerful point. And, you know, you said one of the words here that I know a lot of people in business consider to be a very dirty word. And, and I'm going to bring it back up is niche. And it's just one of those terms that just scares a lot of business owners. And to kind of put the, the niche in perspective, because I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, people always say, well, I'm going to be missing all of this great business. You know, think about being a doctor for a moment. You know, your average general practitioner makes in the neighborhood of hundred dollars to $120,000. When they specialize and become, let's say, a surgeon, they can increase that from that 100, 120 to 300,000 or so. If they specialize even further from just general surgeon to brain surgeon, that probably pops into the 1 million range. You know, if they specialize even further, I actually have an acquaintance of mine who only works on shoulders and knees. That's all the guy does. He's a surgeon for sh shoulders and knees. Now, the average person who does what he does probably makes about a million dollars a year. But he's specialized even further. He only works on shoulders and knees for major athletes, typically only NFL uh, and tennis pros. Those are the two that really come to him. The guy makes about $15 million a year. So, so look at what that means and the implications for gross profit. He has to do one person. or Let's say he charges $15 million, just, just to make the example easy. $15 million is the one surgery. And every, everyone else is, has to charge a million dollars for each surgery and they'll apply it to anybody. So I think we're just getting into like these laws of specialization and how important they really are. Another example I think of is we just had a whole bunch of uh, Terminex pest control stations installed at my house. Well, Terminex isn't really that interested in marketing themselves to let's say me, I'm, I, I'm a general contractor. Um, I've never seen their brand show up in the federal space because they'd be competing against three or four other guys. And what do they need to take the loss on margin for when they are honed specifically to go out and, and service homeowners? Right. So their margins, they allow to be whatever it is they are, and they don't worry about competing with, you know, everyone out there who does what they do. It's not rocket science, but it's their delivery system, their sales system. It's the entire value chain they provide. So that discussion around specialization and margin, I think, is what's key. When we get away from margin and we try to be everything to everyone, that's when we see margin compression because if you want to go compete in an area adjacent to where you're currently dominant, 
How does your product, service, or whatever you're selling stand up next to the behemoths in that market? If it won't deliver, you can all but guarantee you're not going to get what you need. You'll have to compete on price, and eventually that'll be a market you lose in. Right, right. And, and you'll see the, the people who are really ideal buyers that want value, not just you know, their version of the LPTA, right? You know, they they don't want just the lowest, the lowest valued you know, system that's out there. They want the biggest, best value because they're really trying to do whatever it is. You know, those people pay more. They, they just do. Now, I know the government's got their rules and, and, and they have issues around that. But also remember, if you're listening to this, you shouldn't just be in the government. You, you know, you should have one leg in commercial market. You know, just servicing the exact same type of clients in that space as well. You can do both. You probably should do both just to kind of balance out. Because the thing for me is the commercial clients are the ones, the faster, there's faster cash flow. You know, you're talking about cash flow earlier. You know, instead of having 90 or 120 days on an invoice, you've usually got 30, you know, or less. I had a lot of, had a lot of commercial clients who work with, it's like net 10. So, you it's, know. It's negotiable, I think, yeah, is yeah, that's one of the takeaways there. And and I just couldn't agree more. You want to create as many revenue streams as you can for your business. And, you know, I've been brought up in the federal market. I know that market well. But for the company that I work for, you know, we try to balance between commercial utility buyers, state and local buyers, because as the economy oscillates, different programs have different strengths. And the beauty of always having federal as one piece of your book of business is that in times of economic duress, there tend to be these packages that fund additional work to stimulate mm -hmm. the economy. So exactly. here we are, and we can at least delay the impact a recession might have. And, and I think, you know, a great example, of course, is 2008. Um, we had the ARA funding come out. And I know it didn't impact charter until 2012. So, and at that point, our, our commercial book of business was beginning to take off. We had a very limited exposure window to that recession. Yeah. And it's, it's just smart business. So, you know, we could probably talk for another hour on all kinds of different strategies around this, but I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it over to you. See if you've got any final thoughts for our listeners. Gosh, I think you, you let me probably talk more than I needed to, and I, I certainly appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, and we could go for another hour. I would just uh, put a plug out there, anyone who's interested in uh, reaching me. Um, it's uh, at Tim.Ashmore on Twitter, uh, and it's at Timothy.Ashmore on Instagram. I try to be really active in those mediums, uh, sharing thoughts around marketing, around strategy, around business development client satisfaction, um, but um, would, would love to engage with people there, and it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Well, cool. Well, uh, and I'll have you send me those, and we will post them uh, right below this the, the notes for this particular podcast on the website. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Tim, you can do it that way. You can reach out to me. You can also reach out to him on LinkedIn. Uh, we'll have his email up there, all that kind of good stuff. So uh Really appreciate you coming on today, Tim. And I know a lot of listeners will get a lot out of this. And again, I, I recommend people go back and listen to it because there, there was just there's a lot of little really great things in this podcast episode. 
Well, thanks so much for your time. You betcha. And I also want to take a quick minute to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. Uh, Again, I think this was a packed episode. I think you'll get a whole lot out of it. Listen to it 20 times. Uh, Call us, you know, send us emails with questions you have. And remember, you can get every episode of Game Changers on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And last but not least... Please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program, at federal-access.com. When you visit the site today, you'll learn how to get a free copy of the government sales manual when you become a member. And also, be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.